Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Hello, friends. Things just get more and more strange by the day, don't they? Uh, We are, in fact, in uncommon times. And I will be preaching a little uh, tableside chat with you tonight as we continue our series, our uh, Pentecost, season of Pentecost, ordinary time, common time series called Uncommon Time. And in this series, if you'll remember, we are taking our cues from Karl Barth, who said, you got to take your Bible. You know, take your newspaper and then read both, but always interpret the news. Always interpret the news from your Bible. So this first story hits a little close to home. It is about us. It is about the Middendorfs, Dateline, Oklahoma City. The coronavirus has visited our house. My uh, son Drew was uh, tested and tested positive after being symptomatic on Friday. And so we are here for two weeks quarantining we Middendorfs. Um, he is doing well. He feels pretty good. Um, nobody else in the house has had any symptoms. We have had one other person tested that came back negative. So we're doing okay. Um, and and the thing is we're, we're, we're well cared for. We've got everything that we need and yes, we're a little bit stir crazy, but you know, we've only got a little bit longer to go. We should be out of quarantine. Uh, we are in quarantine through Thursday of uh, this this next week but it does help me to empathize with others who may not be in quite the situation that we're in people who have either had the illness or have been in quarantine Um, i will tell you this the quarantine has not been restful i mean i've just have had too much to worry about whether it's worrying about the health of the folks in my household or worry about what it is that they're missing worried about my my own health but even with all of that we're going to be talking a lot about suffering today. I want you to hear me to say this. Um, I don't know, as long as everybody stays healthy at our house, I, I don't think there's that this even registers on the suffering scale so much. Is it inconvenient? Is it even irritating? Yes, but is it great suffering? No, it's not. It's not. Now, once I go outside of my house and once I look on the screens, uh, the TV, the computer screens, I do see real suffering outside of my home. Um, The pandemic and the inadequate responses to the pandemic, the economic hardship that so many are facing, uh, racism and the struggle for dignity and place and voice, and all of this takes place against the backdrop of bitter political and theological divides. You don't have to look hard to see suffering There is real suffering out there. Rest is hard to come by. Unrest really is the norm. Intention, anxiety, stress, and you probably already know this, but suicide is on the rise during the pandemic and all that has happened because of the pandemic. Suicide attempts are on the rise. Uh, Drug overdoses, overdoses are on the rise. There is, in fact, great suffering all around us. 
that puts us in a place where we perhaps can empathize a little bit more with the people there in Rome, the people to whom Paul is writing, this church that he didn't start and he would never actually visit, but he still felt the real kinship and the real responsibility. He is writing to a people in a time of great stress. We've said this several times. There is tension because there is an, an ethnic kind of tension between some of the Gentile Christians and some of the Jewish Christians. They're not mixing all of that well. But what we haven't said, but we probably should indicate is Paul writing this somewhere around 55, 56, maybe 57 A.D. Uh, they're only a few years away from Rome declaring an all out war on Christians and Christianity in 64 under the leadership of Emperor Nero. The suffering will be historic, and some of those tensions had already started by the time Paul is writing this letter to the Christians there in Rome. There is suffering here, suffering on all sides, uh, but Paul knows his scripture, and Paul is again today going to use his scripture, the Old Testament scriptures, to bring some light to a new situation for them in the church in Rome. So in a sense, you could say with newspaper in hand, he's now going to interpret for his audience the news that is happening, the current events that are happening all around them. We've said this a lot, too. There is this new Exodus imagery that is happening all the time that is functioning in Paul's mind, and it gives clarity to his thinking as it has to do with the situation there in Rome. He recognizes that God in Christ has liberated people from sin and death, sin and death playing the role of the Pharaoh way back when. And now we're in this, in terms of the story and the cycle of the story, we're at this place in the story, like the people in the Old Testament, wandered around and got the law and then the pillar of smoke and then the pillar of fire as they were wandering around in the desert wilderness trying to get to the promised land. We now are in the age of the spirit, being led around in the spirit as we wander around, sometimes in great anxiety and suffering, as we too are trying to move toward a new kind of promised land. Or as we have said before, waiting for that moment when God will finally finish what he has started. And we are here. We are in that wandering around time, still waiting for God to finish what God has started. And in the process, it's altogether possible that Christians like us will experience some suffering. Now, let's talk a little bit about this word, suffer or suffering. What do we mean? I don't think this is any kind of suffering that, that's being talked about here. In fact, I don't think you can put a rock in your shoe and, and have that be the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about here. No, no, this is very specific kind of suffering. It is the kind of suffering that one suffers when one suffers love for the other. Again, in the tradition of the Christ who suffered all the way to the cross and death and then back. This is the kind of suffering that we're talking about, where you suffer love for the other, where you make room for the other, where you stand in solidarity with the other, when you defend and protect the other. It's only Christian suffering when it's suffering love. And that's when and where a kingdom moment and a kingdom movement can occur. But here's the thing, and I'm going to say this now, I'm going to say it throughout, I'm going to say it again at the end. God does not waste it when the people of God suffer love for others. 
for God and for others. In fact, we have already heard Paul say in testifying for God that this is what God wants from us. God doesn't wake up in the morning aching for us to suffer, but God knows that when we suffer love for the other, in the tradition of Christ, in the older tradition of how God has loved God's people, in the tradition of how God has always wanted the people of God to suffer love for the other, that's when creation is reorganized, not according to power, not according to wealth, but according to love. That's where we're headed, and we participate in this mission of God, the call of God, when we suffer love for the other. Let's listen again to Paul, a few verses from last week. He says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We're not going back to Egypt, but you received a spirit of adoption. Adoption. We said this last week. When we cry, Abba, Father, or Dad, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs or joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him, so that we can be a part of this process and be glorified with him. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the sufferings that we suffer because we are trying to suffer love for the other, are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Then there's this verse, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. Again, just a quick recap of last week. God has always wanted to have a people to call God's very own people. And God has always determined that this would be the way that God would move all of creation back through the people of God, Israel, through the person of God, Christ, and then through the people of God now known as the church. Now, things aren't yet finished yet. We are in that great in-between time. We, we sometimes call it the now but not yet kingdom. We are in that not yet part and we can feel it. We can see it again. You can see things aren't quite right out there. There is suffering all around. And this is where we come in. We come in to not only suffer with the broken created order, but to suffer for the created order. When we suffer love for the other, and that can take a variety of forms as you know. When we suffer love for the other, that really is when God can work in and through the people of God, each of us and all of us, to help bring some sort of godly, divine order to all things. Picking up in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as if in labor pains up until this point, and not only the creations, but we too. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, when God will finish what God started. And so, like the church in Rome, we too are here in this great in-between time. We work, we serve, and we wait. And sometimes we wait in deep and terrible agony. They suffered, those Christians in Rome, and we too will suffer because that's what happens when we answer the call to be the very embodiment of the message of love, which is still the greatest power among all powers, though not everyone is convinced just yet. Take a look at this quote from N.T. Wright. He says, This is in fact what our glorified sovereignty over the world when we are partnering with God, what it looks like in practice in the present age. The challenge to suffer with the Messiah in order to be glorified with him means, to be sure, being ready for all kinds of even physical suffering, persecution, and the like. This is what often comes from worshiping the true God while the earth is still out of joint. 
Now, this is how we take our places as parts of the process whereby creation is restored, returned, recovered. And this is our purpose. It is God's purpose for us. We suffer love, but we don't do it alone. As we suffer, we enjoy the companionship of the Spirit. And beyond that, the Spirit is on our side. Beyond that, the Spirit is on our side praying for us, advocating for us, even when we can't find the words. So we look around. We look around and we look at the world and the fracture that we see in the world. We, we look at the lack that we see in the world. We look at people who unnecessarily go hungry. Look at people who are unnecessarily broken. We look at how addiction ravages lives and we look around and sometimes we just sort of ache and we say, God, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And sometimes we just ache. We can't even find the words to describe what it is that we are feeling or why it is that we're feeling what we're feeling. The good news here is that it's in those moments that the Spirit knows us well enough to know how to articulate and advocate for us to God, God's self. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness or just helps our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, the called out people, the called out for a specific purpose people. That's what saints means, according to the will of God. Now, here's a verse that you've heard before. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is one of those verses, a very familiar verse that, that very well could be in a frame right now in your home. And why not? It is a fantastic verse. I would submit to us, though, that this is another one of those verses that we have to keep in context. The context isn't the absence of suffering, Christian suffering, suffering love. It absolutely is the essence, the presence of Christian suffering and the capacity of God to make good use of that suffering. I, I hope that you don't look at Romans 8.28 and think, okay, now that I have given myself to God, I will have great ease and comfort. My friends, not only do I not think that to be true, my life has experienced that that's not true. Now, what I can say is, leaving this verse in context, God has never left me by myself in moments of suffering. God promises companionship and that nothing, nothing, none of our experiences will be wasted and not even the suffering. But this has been the intention of God all along, that God would have a people set apart for these, this specific calling through whom God will work and serve and suffer love. Verse 31, so what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The implied answer there is no one can be against us. He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, Will he not with him also give us everything else? Now, this is a very interesting string of verses. It may not look obvious, but Paul is again reaching back to his Old Testament classes, all of his Old Testament lessons and sermons. He's looking back at these Old Testament texts, and he is seeing evidence that God is still doing what God has always done. 
tried to work in and through a people, and even through the suffering of these people, in order to bring about health and wholeness and future and redemption for all people, not just the called out people, but for all people. He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, kind of like Abraham and Isaac, will he not with him also give us everything else? If God will give us his son, then what will God not give us? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Well, no one, and it's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Who will condemn us? It's Christ Jesus who died, and yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed intercedes for us. Key lines and key phrases from the Old Testament narrative from Abraham, the Psalms, and even the suffering servant songs of Isaiah, all to say that God is still doing what God has always done, working in and through God's people to announce and embody redemption. So what can we, OKC first, expect as we suffer love? We can expect that the same love that is demonstrated in the cross of Christ will stubbornly stay by our side, not to shield us from all suffering, but to accompany us as we suffer. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written again in Old Testament verse, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. Man, things are tough out there, especially for those people who do, in fact, want to wear the Christian t-shirts, who understand that Christianity is about something more than where I spend my eternity. It's where I spend my Mondays and my Tuesdays. It's how I am with people. It's my body posture. It is the project that God has given me as I respond to the call of God, and not just on my life, but on our life together as a church, our life together. There is a particular kind of suffering when you walk the way of Christ. There will be pushback. There will be resistance in a particular specific kind of suffering. And again, again, the suffering is how things move forward. When we suffer love for the other, maybe even at the hands of the other, no matter who the other might be, that is when God's love surrounds and swarms us. Take a look at this in verse 38. I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be ever, ever able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul is saying, yes, you may suffer. Yes, I may suffer, says Paul. Yes, Christians may suffer. Christians will suffer. We can never allow ourselves to think, though, that this means that somehow God is absent or God is upset with us or that God is somehow separated from us because it is in those moments that the love of God perhaps is most available to us. Nothing can separate us. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us. Notice here that the first thing that is listed in this list of scary things is death. But death will not separate us from the love of God seen most clearly in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The rulers may hold sway over our lives. They may dictate the terms of our lives. But even in that moment, we are not separated from the love of God seen in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Another verse, another couple of verses, Romans 8, 38 and 39, famous verses, again, worthy of a frame, but again, verses that cannot be removed from their context. Yes, God's mind about us is made up and the news continues to be good. No, great, very great. But these words are intentional and specific, church. They are meant for those who have heard and responded to the call of God to be Christian to take their places in service to God and God's creation, the people who, because of that choice, have suffered at the hands of opposing forces, suffering love for God and others in ways that literally reorganize creation. To those people, God says, you will never be separated from my love. The same love that won our liberation from sin and death now comes to our side as we love, as we suffer love, as we fight the good fights, no matter what no matter what. As I draw to a close, I ask myself and I ask you, okay, but what might this love look like? If you have a driver's license, have you checked that organ donor box? I think you should. As tragic as a death would be, especially a death way out of time. It's an accident, an unanticipated tragedy. If we are hearing what we think we are hearing from God here, that through Paul, that God will waste nothing and that God will take even the tragic circumstances of our lives, even those circumstances that perhaps will end in death, that God will take those circumstances and make something out of them that still can move all of creation in the right direction. What might that look like? I, well, I think at the very least it might look like an organ donor. I came across a story not too long ago. Now, the story is not uh, current. It's from 2017. The summer, though, of summer of 2017, a man by the name of Bill Connor took his family on a vacation to uh, Mexico. And his kids, um, they got separated somehow and they went to a, to a, a party. And I, we don't really know what happened, but both of the kids were found face down in the water, unable to breathe. The son made a complete recovery, but the daughter, Abby, did not, did not. Abby died and they donated all of Abby's organs. And I found a little video clip that will tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for Bill and the way that Bill decided that he would commemorate and memorialize Abby's life. Bill Connor started his journey in May, wanting to bike from Madison to Florida. The memory of his daughter, Abby, fueling every turn. Abby loved everybody. If you were her friend, you were lucky. Abby, a junior at UW-Whitewater, drowned tragically while on a family vacation in Mexico over winter break. Her family decided to donate her organs, and her father decided he would take a healing journey, biking 2,000 miles to bring awareness to organ donation. But 1,400 miles into his trip, an encounter in Baton Rouge that left him speechless. He meets Jack, 21 years old, who lives with Abby's heart beating inside his chest. 
When their embrace this past Sunday ended, Jack gives Bill Connor a Father's Day gift, a stethoscope, so he could hear part of Abby again. It's not about how many cars you have or homes you have or how much money. I mean, to give somebody life if you're in a tragedy like this, you're able to give somebody an uh, organ to help them live or live a better life. So my daughter just, again, set an example for me, and I've got to follow it, and that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, this has immediately become one of my favorite videos. It it helps me in a variety of different ways. A couple things I want us all to notice about this video. One, the love of this father who would stop at nothing, who would stop at nothing to demonstrate his love for his daughter. It's fascinating to me that this man would take the time to go and meet the man who received his daughter's heart a black man in this long embrace with this white man. <laughs> and the, this black young man gives the dad a stethoscope, a stethoscope, so that this dad could hear his daughter's heart still beating in Jack's body, giving life to Jack's life. The love of a father demonstrates for me the love of the father. Only if Bill Connor can love Abby like that, Think about how much more our God loves us. And in the same kind of way, this is a tragic situation, but a tragic situation that did not just end up meaning death, but it also ended up meaning life. It resulted in life. And it wasn't just Jack who lived. It was three other men who lived because they received Abby's organs just in time. Nothing was wasted. Nothing was wasted. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we suffer, we have this promise. The promise is not that we won't suffer. The promise is that we will not suffer alone. The second promise is that nothing of our suffering will be wasted. None of it will be wasted. We close with this quote from N.T. Wright. The love of God enjoyed already in the present will outlast and defeat all enemies, including death itself. It is time to pray. And I'm going to lead us through a brief time of confession before turning it over to my friend Jason, who will take us through prayers of petition and intercession. But what is it that we might be confessing today? It might be simply this, that we haven't quite given ourselves over all the way into the hands of God, who calls us to service, who calls us to be set apart, who calls us to be saints, set apart for a specific purpose, and that is to suffer love, that is to embody this Christ-shaped love for all of creation, and in so doing, and in so doing, to be part of the process whereby God will reorganize all of creation. But if for you, faith has been little more than securing your eternity, if it hasn't been about getting you involved in the present so that you can suffer love, that's what you need to confess. That's what I need to confess. 
And so let's do that now. Father, forgive us if we have made faith too small a thing. Father, forgive us if we have underappreciated the love that we see embodied on the cross. Father, forgive us if we haven't listened as we have been called as your body to take up your cross and in so doing to demonstrate the kind of love that can be the power through which you can organize and reorganize all of creation. Forgive us. Forgive us if we don't understand ourselves to be a part of that process. We confess, God, that at times we do have the capacity to make faith something smaller, to make Christ's sacrifice something lesser. We confess, God, that at times we forget that we're called for a specific purpose. But now, God, perhaps with the help of a video, help to remind us who we are and what it is we're supposed to do and what the stakes are. And now, church, I'd like to give you a moment to pray your own prayer of confession. And then I'll come back in a few moments and read this pre-written prayer before turning it over to Jason. now hear this church may the almighty god have mercy on you forgive you all your sins through our lord jesus christ strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the holy spirit that we've been talking about by the power of the holy spirit keep you in eternal and boundless life amen jason